0: When I saw that the 23rd Psalm was part of our lectionary readings this Sunday, I struggled with whether or not I should preach from it. I haven't had a great track record with Mother's Day sermons, if you remember. But I figured I can't go wrong with this one. These words are often the first words that we have memorized as a child when we first get our Bibles or go through confirmation class as I did in fourth grade when I joined the church at Myers Park Methodist in Charlotte. We say it together at almost every funeral or memorial service here at Riverside, and if you've ever had a funeral uh, served by a funeral home, then whatever they hand you, I promise, will also have the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version as part of it. The passage is iconic. It stands on its own. And so a preacher struggles with whether to preach it or not. Can it just be what it is, like one of our beautiful sunsets in Jacksonville or a beautiful Mozart piece? The more you pick it apart, the further you get from it. And I don't want to do that this morning, but I do want to speak to how important this passage is, I think, for how we understand God and our relationship with God. Listen to this poetic and profound version from the King James Version itself, and if you would like to say it along with me, you're welcome to do so. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. We've grown a collective consciousness around this psalm. And on this Mother's Day, I think this tribute to the feminine mother presence, this psalm is particularly poignant. For it holds up, I think, a feminine God that is more true than the masculine God that we have envisioned or that we wish for ourselves. It's a psalm, according to the text, about a shepherd who is less about fixing her children's problems as it is about shepherding them in the right direction, keeping them from danger and on the right track of righteousness with her f- staff of finger, walking with them through the dark valleys of their life and dealing with their own hardship, and preparing a table for them over and over and over and over and over, and over again to gather around. Now, apart from the, I'm sorry, the gender stereotypes I'm implying, that was at least the way I understood my mother. Why well, my father was always the one who would try to fix it, thought he could fix it, and saw himself in a position of more power. There was a young child whose, whose nanny was named Mrs. Murphy who heard this psalm, and she loved her nanny and thought that the end of it said, Surely good Mrs. Murphy will follow me all the days of my life, <laughs> promising that her Favorite nanny would always be there. But let's not romanticize it too much, for remember, these deeply resonant words were written 3,000 years ago by a nomadic group of people who were mostly shepherds, struggling with what that meant in a very, very scary world. They were Bedouins, sheep herders. And like young King David, they came to understand Yahweh as a great creator, but also a shepherd who guides and provides and helps and coaches and walks with and loves in a caring shepherd way. These words resonate in our present tense, I think, for us all. God is my shepherd. Is. But only because the isness, the now, has been related to the past tense of experiences we have had when God was my shepherd, when God did walk with us or me, when God did set a table, when God did anoint my head. And these words lifted up by these Bedouins are words of experience of God's presence with them in the past tense so that they can articulate it in the present tense but not just that it also incorporates the future tense for in a way I think this prayer serves as a petitionary prayer to God with God will you be my shepherd God will you walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death will you continue to set a table before me please God will you And in this sense, then, these words serve as a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is all about. It incorporates the past, it is now in the present, and we look forward to the culmination of it, the fulfillment of it at the end times when the kingdom of God has finally been completed past, present, future, all now with us. I shall not want. We all want. For most of us, affluent as we are, we don't really want for material things, but the longer we live, the more we discover that we are wanting for something more profound. Well, security, of course, and health and friends and companionship and assurance of our forgiveness and that we measure up and that we are loved and that we can find peace and comfort and joy and that we want also for a deep meaning to our lives. We all want that. It's the existential reality of being a human being. But these words were written again 3,000 years ago when that human want was with them too. But on a more basic level, they wanted food. They wanted housing. They wanted health care like over one billion people in our world today who won't desperately find a rest from migration, a home to pitch their tent. I wonder how this psalm plays out, by the way, for those wandering immigrant families making their way up through Mexico from Honduras because they have been so savagely, violently beaten by gangs who extorted them to either join or die. As they're making their way up, these good Christian people, many of whom have learned this psalm too, are they saying with the rest, God is my shepherd? Walk with me through this valley. And I suspect that paradoxically, those who would have the least reason to say it are probably saying it with more awareness of that God presence than the rest of us who have not had that experience oh we say good luck to them that God will walk with them and God will set their table and so forth but they are not moving up in order to be let down they are literally living out of the promise and the vision that God is their shepherd and God will deliver them I am often taught by resilient people who have gone through hell that if not for God's shepherding presence, they would not have made it out. And I had a similar experience. I walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me is not just a hope. It is a living reality for those with eyes to see. As far as this whole sheep thing goes, I don't know a whole lot about them. I mean, I've petted them a couple of times at, at, at living manger crushes like at Christ, Peachtree Christian. And I've petted them in those small little petting zoos. And the most I know about sheep of, of watching the Bedouins on my way from Jerusalem down to Jericho in the wilderness. And all the Bedouin camps and the sheep and so forth are trying to make my way some, down some one-lane road in Scotland with a flock of unmovable sheep standing in the way. I mean, they're, they're supposed to be kind and sweet, and they're the most willful creatures. As urbanite sheep is a questionable metaphor for us to use these days. I've never shorn one or shepherded one, and if you have, you can tell me what that's like. But I have pastored one, a sheep congregation, for the word pastor actually comes from pasteur, from the word in, 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 excuse me, pascare, from the word in French, which means to feed or graze. To be a pastor is to be a shepherd, and that makes you my sheep. As condescending as that sounds, you're my sheep and I'm your pastor. But you know what? You have also pastored me from time to time. And some of you have been incredible pastors to me, which makes me a sheep too. We are on the same level of authority in this equal world of church community. And you have walked with me and I have walked with you through the valley of the shadow of death way too damn often. But it has been an incredible honor. Did you know that sheep come in different hues? Well, basically, they can be all over the map, but the way we define them is either white or black, which only reconstitutes the unconscious vernacular of racism that we continue to promote without knowing. If a white sheep is a good sheep and obeys What is a black sheep? If an angel food cake is white, what do you call a dark chocolate cake? If the light of God is the light, then the metaphor of God's absence is the dark. And so every time we continue to use that language, and we think that doesn't matter, but it does matter if you're white, you're good, and if you're black, you're bad. The black sheep is always bad in the stories, and we are continuing it. So let's, instead of using black sheep, white sheep, why don't we just use found sheep, lost sheep? Or just sheep and lost sheep. Every dysfunctional family has a lost sheep. Sheep. If you have more than one or two children, certainly, but probably sometimes even that one child is a lost sheep, there is usually an assignment for that lost sheep in the family. You're now going to be the lost sheep, and we can... Let Lay all our guilt and all our stuff on top of you, and you become the sacrifice for the family. You're the sacrificial lamb. You're the lost sheep, and that lost sheep learns to grow up and play the role of lost sheep over and over and over again. See how it works? This insidious thing, and we are barely aware of it. In order to be fair to the skin color issue, Let's just at least be aware of how we use our language. Let us be aware that we are all in the process of being saved, that we are all on some level lost and found. And if that's the case, then what it is we are called to be found from, we may use the word saved, but what we're called to be found from, of course, is out of our pretense, our inauthentic selves. Our ego-centered narcissism, we're called to be found out of that lostness and be saved and found into the authority, the authentic self of who we are, the true self, the real self, apart from our ego and our pride. As I've mentioned, uh, Jesus was not only a shepherd, I am the good shepherd And those who hear my voice and follow me are the sheep of my fold, he says. But he was also the good sheep. He played the role of the lamb of sacrifice. Behold the lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. And as I have argued for the 14 years since I have been with you, this sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb on the cross was not in order to appease or satisfy God's need for justice or punishment, substituting Jesus' own suffering for ours, what kind of shepherd would that be? Making Jesus the scapegoat for God? I think instead that that sacrifice of the Lamb of God is the only way that God could actually show us how deeply loved we are, how incredibly forgiven we are, even on the cross, that love and forgiveness is made real to us through the suffering of Christ, not to satisfy God's need our need is what needs to be satisfied because we're scorekeepers and we hold grudges and we cannot forgive ourselves. So in this sense then, the 23rd Psalm to me is one of the most feminine presentations of the presence of God I have ever read. I came to understand this when Three days after uh, the accident that took my first wife, Nancy, Megan, who had been driving the car that rolled over, not because of her fault, but because of someone who forced her to do it. It was an explorer, the old explorer rollover events. Three days after, I asked Megan to get back on the horse, so to speak, and go to the store, and get in the car, and drive, and go buy some groceries. and. Her daughter Amanda was in the car with her and so she headed out with some trepidation and I heard the car start and then I heard the brake squeal in the driveway outside my little office by the house and then I heard the door slam and then I heard them screaming obscenities at each other as loud as it could be heard through the neighborhood and they came stomping in and apparently Megan had forgotten to take the parking brake off, and Amanda, the youngest, had just said to her, you have the parking brake on, but Megan was feeling a little defensive about her driving, as you can imagine, and so they were screaming, and they come into my office, and I'm sitting in my chair, and they continue to scream, and then I look at them both, and it struck me. I'm I'm the father, I'm the protector, I'm the masculine presence, I'm the fix-it, I'm the one who's supposed to take care of all this and all I knew to say was to both of them, I can't fix it. And so I walked over to them and Amanda, youngest, didn't wanna hear those words and so she took off upstairs but Megan stood there and I held her and the next thing I know we're crying together And we somehow manage to make our way into the bathroom where we sit down beside the toilet and start using the toilet paper off the roll in bunches because we're both crying so hard we can't catch our breath. And I am knowing nothing else to do. I can't do anything else. I can't fix it. All I can do is be present with her in my brokenness and my tears and my suffering. And it struck me in the middle of that, you know, that's exactly what Christ is all about. And that somehow the Holy Spirit gave me enough wisdom to know I can't fix it and that all I can do is to be with her as I suffer and she suffers. So let me tell you a parable. Once upon a time, a shepherd was out watching his flocks by night. Okay, I can borrow from other stories, and he calls his sheep home at dusk to bed them down and to and to protect them. And he counts counts them up quickly, and he counted a hundred, of course. And and he begins to make his meal, his dinner, and he makes his dinner for his sheepdog. And and he and he finally decides it's time to go to sleep. So he puts the fire out and and. And lays down to sleep. And in the meantime, there's this one sheep who's still out in the pasture. Because this one sheep is willful. And this one sheep doesn't like to obey the shepherd. And the one sheep wanted to just enjoy the pasture for the night. And the stars and the, and the moon. And how gorgeous it all was. And so this one sheep being the sheep that he or she was... Was having a fine time until all of a sudden the light from the camp went out, and then the clouds rolled in and covered the light from the moon and the stars. And the next thing you know, this one sheep is starting to get a little timid and afraid because there's no longer any sense of where he is. And so he begins to wander. And as he wanders, he wanders down the valley into the woods. In the woods, of course, you know uh, who lives in the woods? Little Red Riding Hood, remember that story? Uh huh. Hey there, little red riding hood, you sure are looking good. Remember that song? Some of you don't, you're too young. All right, so, you're everything that a big bad wolf would want. Well, this sheep knew that story, and she's starting to get more and more afraid, and so she hears the howl of a wolf who picked up this sheep's scent like as if it were the sin of a 15-year-old boy after football practice. And, and, and the next thing you know, the wolf is howling, come to dinner, everybody in the pack. We've got lamb chops. And the sheep gets that and finds her way into this little cave to hide, which is where we often go, isn't it, into our little cave to hide, because we don't want to deal with the world out there. But the problem with the cave is you can't get out. There's only one way out, and that's back through. So the sheep's in the cave, and the howling gets closer and closer, and as the howling comes closer, the sheep's about to literally shiver to death Wolves make it to the mouth of the cave, ready to go in, and da, da 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 out of the sky comes the good shepherd dressed in his Iron Man outfit and comes down with his staff now, one of those super sabers, and waxes them, all the wolves. Goes into the cave, gets the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and takes the sheep back home. Rejoicing and everybody has a party. There's a, there's a parable. That's not how it happens. I want it to happen that way, but that's not how it happens. Here's the ending the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world goes like this. The shepherd wakes up and discovers that his one lost willful sheep is missing and goes looking for him in the darkness. And hearing the wolves howling in the distance, he follows the noise until he gets to the cave. And when he gets there, he sees what's happening. And he comes up behind them and he throws his staff down and he screams at the wolves, Here I am. Take me. And the wolves turn from the lamb, the sheep, into the lamb of God. The sheep is now free to leave and to find her way home. You see the difference? We want iron man, but we get a shepherd God who gives up his life for the flock. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, he says in John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Just as God knows me and I know God, I lay down my life for the sheep. Does this change the way that you now understand the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. Amen.